Hello and welcome to Required Reading, the podcast that revisits the most impactful books from our childhood. My name is Erin Bowles. I'm your host. I'm an actor, writer, comedian, and I keep killing my plants. Our guest today is Carly O'Brien. She is a theater director and academic who has worked in higher education since completing her MFA in directing in 2018. As a director, she is interested in plays that offer a glimpse into the human experience through the eyes of characters who don't normally get the spotlight. Outside of work, Carly enjoys spending time outdoors with her beautiful wife and three dogs. Hello, Carly. Hi, very happy to be here. So good to see you. Carly and I have only ever met once. I <laughs> We were connected through people on the internet, and I was traveling from Maryland to LA, and I <laughs> went online and I said, Hi, do I know anyone in Oklahoma? Do I know anyone in Oklahoma? And Carly said, yeah, come hang at my house. And it was amazing. It was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very fond memory. The day that you came through was the day that I moved in to this house in this really small town in the middle of nowhere in Oklahoma. And you kind of helped christen that house in a way. And we got to meet in real life, Twitter friends, mm -hmm. also IRL friends. It was a real, a real meeting of the minds and a very, and a very special time. It was so wonderful. I remember you making us coffee on your porch. Beautiful. There were cows. Yes. The vibes were immaculate. Our book today is Where the Red Fern Grows by Wilson Rawls. I had never read it before. It's my first time oh, reading no. it. I have a physical copy because I found it in a little free library. Love yes. the, the serendipity. And how did this book first enter your life? What's your story with this book? So this was a book that I can't pinpoint. I was thinking about it earlier. I can't pinpoint specifically the year that it was. However, I do remember being read this book and also reading this book by my music teacher in elementary school. Um, shout out to Mrs. Gould. May she forever rest in peace and power. And she was my favorite teacher. She wasn't even my English teacher. I also loved my English teacher, as the gays do. But I don't even know why we were reading it in her class, but I have such a vivid memory of sitting in a circle around her and she was sitting on a stool in her classroom and reading this book to us and then I also remember reading it on my own so it had to have been I'm thinking like third or fourth grade ish which is around the age that it wants you to read it and it was such a memorable book for me for a lot of reasons but yeah I, I will always associate it with Mrs. Gould and sitting in her music classroom and she's sitting on a stool and we're all around her so it's a very warm memory for me I had never read it before every single person who I told that I was reading it went oh. <laughs> yeah yeah I'm so sorry that I chose this book no no it's fine <laughs> part of the reason why I started the podcast is that there were so many books that so many people read that I never did like they just weren't in my school for whatever reason so like a lot of people have, have asked for this, and I said, no, it's been claimed, it's been claimed, it's coming. And so it's like, I'm really glad I got to read it. And it's a really interesting slice of life. Like, I think there are, it kind of makes sense that, like, I didn't read this in, in my public schools. A lot of God talk. Mm -hmm. um, like, there was obviously religion where I grew up, but it was a very, like, everything was about how multicultural it was. Like, we were outside mm. D.C. It was it was very much about, like, I think a lot of our school and our reading was, like, how, how global can we get? The book was published in 1961. It's JFK's first year. He's sworn in. He establishes the Peace Corps. The Ken doll is introduced. Barbie gets a boyfriend. The 23rd Amendment to the Constitution is ratified, which allows D.C. residents to vote in presidential elections. I have a lot of opinions about D.C. statehood and such. Still don't have a voting rep in Congress, by the way. The first man in space occurs, Yuri Gagarin. There's also, I deleted this from my notes, so I hope I remember it correctly. Someone puts a monkey in space this year, and I believe the monkey's name is Ham. <laughs> The Bay of Pigs occurs in Cuba. It fails by April 19th. South Africa becomes a republic. Construction of the Berlin Wall begins. And New Zealand abolishes the death penalty. Wilson Rawls, the author, was born Woodrow Wilson Rawls in Scraper, Oklahoma in 1913. The Great Depression starts when he is 16, so his family leaves for California, but their car breaks down in New Mexico, and his dad goes to work in a toothpaste factory. 
In the 30s and 40s, he becomes a carpenter. He travels around to South America, Canada, Alaska. He writes five books, but there is a lot of grammatical errors, no punctuation, so he keeps all of his manuscripts hidden in a trunk in his father's workshop. He serves prison time in twice. One is for breaking and entering, and one allegedly seems to be for stealing chickens. He later works for a construction company on a guided missile range in the Southwest. He uh, goes to Idaho to work again in construction. And there he meets his future wife, who is a budget analyst for the Atomic Energy Mission. And the books are largely based on his childhood in the Ozarks. So I was really excited because you're from Oklahoma. This is all set in Oklahoma. I have so many questions, mostly just like, What's the overlap? Tell me everything. Let's dive in. (laughs) Okay, so lifelong Oklahoman, except for the three years that I spent in Central Texas doing my MFA, have lived in most of my time in in the, the bigger metros. So grew up in Tulsa, went to school in and around Oklahoma City, did a short two year MA in Stillwater and then back to Oklahoma City. And then most recently, I just got done with spending four years in a very, very small town that I had never been to before. And Oklahoma, I mean, it's 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 not a huge state, but there's a lot of places in Oklahoma that I've never been. So that you mentioned, did you say scraper? I've never heard of Scraper, Oklahoma, which is shocking as a lifelong Oklahoman. And yeah, the Ozarks, specifically Northeast Oklahoma, is where my folks hail from. We, okay, yeah. I, Like I said, I, I grew up in Tulsa, but my folks grew up about an hour and a half northeast of Tulsa in a little bitty town called Commerce, which is right outside of a little bitty town called Miami, spelled the same way as Miami. And we would often go to Joplin, where my grandmother lived, to go and do holiday things. So it's right there at the intersection of Oklahoma, Kansas, and Missouri, up there in in northeast northeast Oklahoma. And it's a it's a really beautiful, very green place. At least this this place um, that is uh, mentioned in the book, and that uh, and that I grew up in as well. It's Tulsa is known as like green country quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Oklahoma dogs. I mean, what's it's it's right up my alley. Yeah. I love I love dogs. Oklahoma is red. <laughs> it is it is beat red mm-hmm. politically. For the most part in in the metros there are there's plenty of purple and blue dots kind of in and around, uh but for the most part Oklahoma is in a lot of ways as bad as everyone says it is. But I've always felt that there's so much potential in Oklahoma. Um, Lots of really amazing artists come out of Oklahoma. And I get why they immediately want to vacate the state as soon as they can. But my hope is that there's like a little bit of a a resurgence as far as artful storytelling. And um, now that I'm out of my small town and in Oklahoma City... I'm definitely seeing more of that. There's definitely a very thriving arts community, both in Oklahoma City and in in Tulsa. So I I feel like there's still a lot of potential in the state just by way of a lot of really talented people doing really, really amazing things. But also, I totally I do not blame anyone for wanting to get out. My first question was, you know, you spent a lot of time in, in the more populated, like denser places. What was your relationship sort of like so much of this takes place in nature? And I think a lot of kids, like unless you are deep in the city, have like some kind of like I think one of the last episodes we did was Lying the Witch in the Wardrobe. So like a lot of exploring, a lot of like there was a big lake next to me. What was outside life kind of like for you? And then like tacked on to that, there, hunting is is the whole book. What yeah. was that like kind of in your orbit. Yeah, you know what? Hunting, not as much in my orbit. We we lived like right smack dab in the middle of Midtown Tulsa. I, I do, I have very vivid memories of my dad taking myself and my brother. Uh, I have an older brother and older sister. And I do have very, um, very fond memories of my dad just taking me and of my dad taking my brother and I uh, fishing. So we would, there's one specific place. I can't tell you which ta- which cities and towns it's between, but it's called Spunky Creek. And we would go and we would fish and I was able to do everything except take the fish off the hook because I'm fragile and I was an even more fragile child. But as far as hunting, I know that my dad had done some like duck hunting, just like sport 
uh, I think more as as a social thing with yeah. with some people that he grew up with, but they they grew up in a much more countryfied place. So really, like any exploration, any outside exploration I had was when I would go and visit my mom's mom, my Grammy in commerce, and as I mentioned before, in in northeast Oklahoma, and that was just a lot of wandering around. It was still relatively populated. It was mostly just walking around like streets with yeah. houses and things. But I've always been a little bit afraid to explore into the wild because. I have a very active imagination and I have what I now know is anxiety, but I, I was also a very anxious kid. So I was kind of afraid of kind of traveling off of the beaten path, but yeah, going, going fishing and spending that kind of time, it was still in a very controlled way because my dad was in charge and we only went where he wanted to go. I never had that much of a sense of adventure, certainly not like Billy does in, in yeah. this book, but yeah, my, my relationship with hunting is, is I've, I've never shot a gun to kill something. I That's not really something that, that I did. And I don't even know if I know of a lot of people who did that I grew yeah. up with, but that's, that's what happens when you grow up in the city, I think. Depending on like how, how hunting and, and this book lined up, this book certainly gives you reasons, especially by the end of it, which is probably, which is the most memorable part to be very scared of, uh -huh. of the wilderness. I grew up in the suburbs, which had like very consciously placed like patches of, of greenery and of woods and things like that. But we had to, first couple months of middle school, you had to go out into the woods for a week for outdoor education. And there was a game called Predator Prey. Half the students were predators. Half, exactly. Bad idea. Half the students were predators. Half the students were prey. I was assigned prey. I was like, fuck this. No. <laughs> and they said, like, so this, like, path it, around, you know, this greenery, that's the border. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to go on the path and ignore this and just walk around until they whistle. I got lost in the woods for several hours. Oh, gosh, no. For context, I grew up very near where the Blair Witch Project was shot. <gasps> and so it, it's like those woods, basically. I hadn't seen it. I didn't see it until I was in college. And then it was very affecting still because I was like, yeah, I got lost in those woods. But I eventually got found and I had a very sweet computer class teacher who like just, she found me, she hugged me, she like handed me candy out of her pocket. <laughs> um, she got me good. She but the book has so much reverence and love and beauty for the outdoors. And yet by the end, you're like, none for me. Thank you. I really get uh -huh. it. I really get it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And his his relationship with it, too, it, it the book draws a very clear line between himself and his family and where they live. The fact that they live kind of out in, in the boonies, for lack of a better anything, and that he walks. It takes him how many days to walk to Tahlequah? Two or three. Yeah, there's at least one overnight situation mm -hmm. where he's he's spending the night in the woods. So it does make a very clear delineation between like the country people, which yes. he considers himself one of them, and the city people who really look down on on the country people. The irony being that he can find his way. He just yeah. he knows he knows how to follow the river and how to get back home. He feels completely confident in his skills and ability to get around and to get around relatively safe safely and you're right that there is a certain reverence that he has for any of the dangers that could take place he he isn't uh, just completely oblivious to those things but he seems to have a sense of of respect for them and this idea that he's going to kind of leave that stuff that could cause him harm well enough alone but he knows it he knows what's there and he knows what to leave well enough alone and i think that that is a skill set that i would not have had if i was in his position but who knows what a fascinating character of Billy, I think even just in the beginning of, of this single-minded determination, mm. this book spans at least four years mm -hmm. of knowing so specifically, I want to be a, a raccoon hunter. I want one, but not two dogs. I want this specific kind of dog mm. and, and knows himself so clearly. I didn't really know what I wanted to do or be until maybe eighth grade. And then it was just like TV. And that was kind of it. And, mm -hmm. and I wanted to write because that was like the most accessible part of that that you could do at home. Mm. Uh, what a character. And there is like, like you said, this incredible respect to the point of like, I don't remember it exactly, but he's like, I'm not going to kill this raccoon or like this raccoon is clearly like very intelligent. They are mm. like equals. There's no, when the mountain lion ultimately gets into a fight with his dogs and, and causes them both to die by extension, 
there is no like that darn mountain lion in the end like that was just doing what it does and and mm-hmm. i think that was really interesting and i i think i was so stunned and maybe this is pearl clutching but like i was so stunned that this book for children is all about killing mm. <laughs> But at the same time, like, my mom kind of grew out in the boonies, not quite as much as this. And she, like, very proudly, my mom is is absolutely an academic, but will be like, I learned how to stuff shotgun shells before I learned how to read. Um, <laughs> although knowing her dad, I'm like, what was he hunting? He was also in it. He <laughs> ran the community college. What was he doing? <laughs> but a lot of death. I mean, a boy gets gutted by an axe. Yeah. There's there's a scene at the end where they are trying to shove Dan's intestines back into his body. Mm-hmm. Which, in the end, I kind of respect for kids. Gory, gotta know what you're getting into. But yeah. I think there's a lot of respect for the reader, which is always really, really heartening. And I think is what often makes children's literature really impactful. The, the books that impact are, are the ones that take you seriously and speak to you as an equal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly does not dumb anything down as far as like they club the raccoons to death or the dogs kill the raccoons and they're turned into skins. And you're right. Yeah, this kid, a child falls on an axe and gets killed and blood comes out of his mouth. I mean, like, mm-hmm. like very, very graphic in that way. And in fact, I think that that might be another reason why this book was so impactful for me at a young age, because I hadn't really been exposed to death mm-hmm. at that point. I mean, I did. I, I grew up in a very, very conservative church. So being at church where there's a lot of old people, I mean, people were dying at church all the time, not at church, but people from church were dying yeah. all the time. So we were always like going to funerals and mom was always like, you know, making the funeral potatoes and dad was always preaching the funerals sometimes. And and so like that, in, in that way, death was all around me. I can't remember how old I was when my great grandmother died, but I wasn't ever very close to her. So it didn't really touch me in any, yeah. really any, any meaningful way. But in this book, you get so attached to these dogs who the author gives such personality, such specific characterization. And also like, I've always loved dogs since I was a kid and that's only grown with age. I love dogs forever and ever. Did you, you know, have like dogs my, as a kid? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah, did. Yeah, we just had, had to ask. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We we had a, a black lab that we grew up with that we got when I was five years old. So my sister would have been nine and she got naming rights. And so she named this dog Jessica, which is hilarious to me. It's such a human name. Like there are some dogs that are named names that are also human names. But mm-hmm. then that's like having a dog named like Jonathan. Yeah. Or like Nicholas or something. I don't know. Like there, there are names that are just specifically only human names. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, we had this black lab named Jesse, And I loved this dog. I loved this dog forever. And then she lived until I was, I think, a junior or senior in high school. But yeah, I, I don't think I'd really been exposed to loss in such a way that that affected me. And I think that too, that this book, for better or for worse has, I won't say that it's informed my tastes, but I do think that it gave me my first taste of of something that I really, really liked, ironically, which is I love sad shit. Yeah. Like, I don't know what it is, but I'm really drawn to things that are just devastating. And as a director, like most of the time, most of the plays that I direct, like I want that audience to leave just devastated, just absolutely gutted. I, I don't know what that is. That shifted during COVID because um, it was like all around us and that's all I was thinking about. So mm-hmm. I did, I get why in theater history, you see these these trends of whenever there's big, upsetting, scary things going on in the world, that's when they produce things like Oklahoma or Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. I mean, as problematic as those shows are, they do kind of exist only for fluff and only for entertainment. And I never had an understanding of that or a respect for that. But um, I mean, during COVID, I did. So I did kind of steer clear of the sad shit, but like, I'm, I'm right back. I'm right back into into my sad shit. But yeah, th- this one, it just was so vivid. The imagery was so, so, so vivid. And it really, and it really affected me. And it really stuck with me and maybe traumatized me. But as you're mark. saying that, I'm thinking about like, this book is really for a lot of kids, their first interaction with death. I also went to a lot of funerals growing up, which was nice to see in someone else. I think it was mostly because <laughs> like, my dad is 11 years older than my mom. And they also like, we just had old family members, like my parents were in a community band, which had a lot of old people in it as well. Mm. Best funeral I've ever been to was 
was for the community band conductor because he just had a hundred different crazy lives. And so it was at a yacht club, which I didn't know Maryland had, and there were bagpipers everywhere. Incredible. <laughs> like my mom came out of the bathroom into a bagpiper. I also love you saying this thing about sad shit because in high school I was not allowed to DJ anything. They're like, all your songs are so sad. Get out of here. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Just blanket ban. But I think you're right that like often the first childhood experience is of a pet's death. I think around fourth grade, I lost my first cat. I grew up with a lot of cats and the it was kind of a good thing because the one that died first was the really weird one who just like always had a lot of health issues, only liked my very mean grandparents who only came around like once <laughs> every five years. And so it was like, oh, okay, I can like, I can learn about this and handle it. And then the next year, my my great-grandmother died also, who I didn't know very well, but it was like the day after I had to do a My Family Tree presentation in class, and so I really, for a hot second, I really thought it was my fault. I really thought I jinxed it. Oh, no. <laughs> I told my dad that recently. He's like, oh my god, why didn't you say anything? And it was like, because it wasn't true, because I, I got that far. <laughs> But I like, I, I think it is so helpful to give a kid a template of the greatest loss. And I think he like, of course, he's never going to get over it. But he buries little Anne and is like, I feel a lot better. Let's go. Good. Good. I got it. I got it. Good. Let's go. Swerving away. Like you touched on, there's really interesting discussion of poverty, of class, and how sharply this character is drawn from such a young age. There is such a resistance to anything that could be being mocked or looked down mm. upon. Like yeah. very, very <clears throat> sensitive to insults. Yeah. I think for me, what I kept coming back to over and over is, I, I just think that Wilson Rawls paints a very... I think it's a great metaphor or like an allegory of Billy as a kid who is spent most of his life being underestimated and these dogs who are underestimated at every turn, but hey, I'm going to prove you wrong, but hey, I'm going to prove you wrong, like in, in both in both instances. And I really appreciate that parallel. And of course, I didn't understand that whenever I was a kid, but looking back at it, it, it just, he... He does. He takes it, it. It's a very personal slight. And then when he is able to kind of project those feelings of inadequacy on his dogs, mm -hmm. and then he can use his dogs as a way to like strengthen their reputation and also strengthen his reputation as well, because he has so little so little power as as a young as a young yeah. person who people are always saying oh hey can i can i help you young man can i and he he doesn't need that help but but the fact that it's 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 offered to him i think is is i don't know i, I think that that to me is is the most effective part or affecting as mm -hmm. well part of of reading this book as an adult and as as a grown up there's a lot that i think i learned from the tenacity and the determination I think Billy and the dogs exist, and I think like I think Billy, the fictional character, would agree with this as like as one entity. Mm. And there's such a trust there of like I know that you guys, you dogs, can do this. If you do your part, I can do my part. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a valuable lesson for your own like internal understanding. Mm -hmm. That I I think that's something I have to keep coming back to as an adult is that. I have all the things I need. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, he respects his dogs so much and he respects their characterizations. He respects these parts of them that he is able to to identify. He knows that old Dan is the brawn and little Anne is the brains. He trusts them so completely and they clearly trust him so completely. And just the fact that he has that kind of deep respect and understanding. And there's, there's that part where when they tree their first raccoon and then he cuts down the tree and he stays out there all night and he has blisters on his hands. Like all of that imagery is as I was reading it, I was like, I remember these exact words. I remember these exact words in this exact order. Like I, I just, I was transported right back to reading them for the first time. Um, it's like, he talks so much about the muscles nodding and rippling under like the velvety skin. Yeah. Like all of that imagery is just like, it transports me right back. Cause I remember that imagery, but Anyway, he cuts this tree down and his dad comes and tries to relieve him. And he's like, no, like I made a promise to my dogs that all they had to do was tree this raccoon and I would do the rest. And I can't let them down in that way. 
Um, and he just is so unrelenting in his dedication to these dogs and this common goal that he has set for them. Um, I mean, my own feelings about uh, killing animals and hunting notwithstanding, um, I can really respect that. And his dad has this respect for him too. I mean, this kid's parents, they obviously don't want him to go no. out and stay <laughs> out all night in the Ozarks, in the yeah. in the woods. Like They're he's going gonna to get it. killed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like this kid gets killed. The, the, the danger almost dies. Yeah. The dangers are immediate, but they know that there's no way that he is going to let up the same way yeah. that old Dan, old Dan is not going to let go of that mountain lion's neck until that mountain lion is cold and dead. He has to pry his jaws apart. So in that way, he just, I, I think that it does a really, really amazing job of, of, of drawing that for us. Like he, he respects the process. He respects his dogs. He respects the outdoors, but he's not going to give up until he gets what, until he accomplishes what he promised he would accomplish. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like the, the tenacity, the dedication of this kid it's really outstanding and so yeah I I agree with your point that that it's it's a really great model in a lot of ways for children to be like oh yeah like all I have to do is you know I I have to be I have to make good on the promises that I'm making and I have to um I have to respect those things around me because there's an order to things and I play a part in that order and other people can only do their part if I am able to do my part well so I I appreciate that about this yeah I think for a book that takes place so much outside of community the way you just said it of like I I do my stuff and I trust everyone else to do their stuff and I give them the support that they need both like emotionally and practically things will will happen and will get done and and like you said they are constantly being underestimated and there are especially when they get to like the championship with all the other hunters and even before that all the hunters visiting in grandpa's store of, you know, how did, how does that happen? How do you do it? Like what, trying to find reason behind it. And he is never really surprised by it. He's just like, this is the way of things. These are my dogs. I don't think it's ever like these very special dogs chose me because I'm very special. It's that like, I mean, obviously there's a big takeaway of just like, man, dogs are great. And mm. I, like, I don't really want to take that away from anyone. I'm, I mm. didn't grow up with dogs. And I did have a moment where like a dog did like get loose and jump on me when I was pretty young. And I was a very small child. So it was, and it was a normal sized dog, but love to dogs. They're fine. Just, you know, <laughs> just not my thing. Really. Yeah. Um, and that's fair. They're not yeah. for everybody, but they are for Billy and me. Yes. And I'm so happy for him. And I guess like the death is so so iconic it's the thing that everyone takes away from it and i finished it and i was like but why i know that dogs die i know that narratively it makes sense come full circle i like that you are giving a template to kids on how to deal with death i knew something bad was coming it was probably gonna be the dogs dying at some point i was like you know maybe maybe it's gonna be grandpa because i really don't like grandpa he's really Billy's a lot wiser than grandpa is uh-huh. they survive so much they survive nights in a blizzard and then it's sort of like okay we're at the end uh mountain lion dead and i think it was like the the determination is they won't back down and that is ultimately why old Dan dies. And I think that, I think I'm like, why? What's the, what's the message here? When is it right to back down and we respect them? I'm, that's the thing I'm baffled on still. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, we did have to figure out how to get to the red fern and (laughs) where, and where she grows and why she grows. But I completely agree because like following following the 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 allegory all the way through I tell this to my um my students who take my analysis classes is that if you want to impose a certain concept on a certain text what you have to do is you have to read that whole text over and over and over with that concept in mind and see if it breaks down and if it breaks down then your concept while Maybe it was a really great idea, just might not work for this particular thing. So if we're talking about this, this allegory of like, never give up, never back down, these dogs didn't give up or back down. And they, one of them got fully disemboweled (laughs) in what had to have been an extremely traumatic experience for young Billy and Billy growing up. But what do I know? I'm glad that he's fictional. But 
Yeah. So it does kind of break down there. I mean, I guess you do have that whole fight. It maybe starts with the dogs wanting to assert dominance Mm -hmm. and it ends with the dogs getting in between Billy and the mountain lion. So it does take a turn there where the mountain lion kind of turns on Billy because Billy is, it's so upsetting. I can't believe that I didn't have nightmares and maybe I did, is hacking away at yeah. this at this mountain lion with his axe at any chance that he gets when he knows he's not going to hit his dogs. And once the mountain lion kind of turns that attention and that fury on Billy that the dogs kind of unite as one to save Billy question mark so yeah I I I agree I mean you know plot questions notwithstanding (laughs) but I guess as you say that I'm like I I guess it is the ultimate fulfillment of the promise of you stand up for me I will stand up for you and that I think through and through like it is an honorable death I think a lot of books about nature will probably take the point as and maybe not for children but will be like you know nature's gonna do what it does and things die and and that's sort of there's no rhyme or reason to it yeah I don't think I really interpreted it as directly as it is which is that they say the one thing I am not going to give up on is Billy and before it turns out as, you know, we have made this promise to each other, I'm going to go as far as possible. And there it's that he is, he has not given up on us ever. He has not given up on us in the snow mm-hmm. in, in X, Y, and Z. And so I guess, yeah, I guess it is the ultimate fulfillment of that promise. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I just have a hard time and I'm, you know, I'm definitely on a, on a journey, um, a journey of, I was just talking to my wife about this the other night of like, making sure that I'm honoring and loving my younger self (laughs) Um, because my younger self, when she was drinking the Kool-Aid of um, our extremely religious upbringing, um, which she was really, really into um, did and said some really, really awful things that now do not align in any way with how current me feels. But um, all that to say, uh, I don't want to discount younger me's and, and, and I don't want to discount, YA, right? Yeah. Like I I don't wanna I don't wanna be like, oh, this is this writing is blah 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 blah. Yeah, because that's not that's not gonna serve anybody. But it does, I just had such a hard time reading this and not thinking, this is avoidable. This is avoidable. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe just like don't hunt. Maybe yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So <laughs> there's there's kind of that push-pull inside of me too, which is what an upsetting thing to happen. Once again, it's fiction, thank goodness. But this in, this impulse to want to hunt, to want to use these animals for sport, which kind of, it bubbles up in me other yeah. other thoughts of, of, of using animals for our own gain. But I mean, what what is having domesticated dogs if not... <laughs> If not using animals so that I have yeah. something cute to look at and snuggle with. So it's all here. Yeah. It, it's all connected. Yeah. I was so ready for them to die in the championship. Like it was, mm. it was, I think that just made sense to me. And the whole time, like I was very angry at grandpa already because grandpa is the one who takes the bet really personally. Yeah. That ends up with this kid dying. He like, very I think in the way they set up the conversation about the championship is like he really wants this he really Mm. wants to win this yeah Um, and Billy sort of like has lionized this guy this is why he has his dogs as someone who's Mm. believed in him so I was really ready for this to be on grandpa I was really ready (laughs) um but it yeah it's all very we, we don't need to be doing this and I think it's also like but that's that's the culture. That's part of it. And I it also got me on a on a little tangent that I did not go very deeply on, but I think part of me was like, Where where do raccoons come from? And they they are native to the Ozarks and I was like, Maybe are we are we having an overpopulation issue? What's what's the ecosystem like? Sure, yeah. Yeah. But they're also there's a very throwaway line in the first couple pages about being, I think, on Cherokee land that I think maybe his mother, but with such a reverence for nature, yeah, there's a lot of killing. There's, Mm -hmm. it's hard to hold both of those things together. Yeah. Especially when the killing and the hunting kills and hunts the things that you care about and you love. Yeah. (laughs) I thought too, separately Mm -hmm. at the end after the dogs die and he says to his mom, mom says, 
they being the dogs, Mm -hmm. they fulfilled a prayer that I thought would never be answered. And he says, I don't believe in prayers anymore. I prayed for my dogs. Now look, both of them are dead. And she says, Billy, sometimes it's hard to believe that things like this can happen, but there's always an answer. When you're older, you'll understand better. And he said, no, I won't. I don't care if I'm 100 years old. I'll never understand why my dogs had to die. There's all of this reverence for like, I prayed for these dogs. Mm -hmm. The mom has prayed to get out of their current situation and be able to move to into town. And she's pregnant again with her fourth child. No, he has three sisters. So fifth child, right? He has three sisters. Yeah, I think so. Mama. And um, I think there are three because I think two get two get the looks trophy and one gets the hunting trophy. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 You're so right. But it's 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 very it's very. yay america i mean the the Mm -hmm. very first the first sentence of the book says this is grown-up billy because the book starts with billy is a grown-up and then he sees he meets this dog on the street whose the pads of his feet are worn are smooth and like apple skin so that's like another thing and i'm like oh my god i remember that i remember Mm -hmm. that line from when i was a child from 30 years ago um But he says, very first sentence, when I left my office that beautiful spring day, I had no idea what was in store for me. To begin with, everything was too perfect for anything unusual to happen. It was one of those days when a man feels good, feels like speaking to his neighbor, is glad to live in a country like ours, and proud of his government. I highlighted that too. (laughs) You did. (laughs) I am on my way to a baseball game. Yes. Uh, That's not in the book, but that's me. And the next one, you know what I mean? One of those rare days when everything is right and nothing is wrong. Sure, sure thing, Billy. But I did want to, I wanted to talk about, this is such a book about God. But, but one last thing on what you were saying, it's like the, the dogs die. The father has saved up so much money from the child's mm-hmm. labor of getting these these raccoon skins. So that yeah. it's, it's sort of like, yes, God's promise and fulfillment of your dogs is like, th- this is flattening it but is social mobility is like now you get to now you get to go to the the school now you get to go to school and like probably have better access to medical care and mm-hmm. better education all those things but it's also like now you will get to be amongst the people who looked down on you and and even my parents are both from Kentucky which is is not quite the same but similar and and when you said green country that I went to Kentucky maybe last year um and was driving it through and was blinded by Mm. by the green i love it so much and there was such a something i've noticed in my family is that there is always a need to find someone lower than you because Mm. then it's like at least i'm not that at (laughs) least i'm not that poor um and even that isn't here with with the the kid who gets gutted um Mm which Reuben yeah and he's a little booger but yeah shouldn't sad to die yes he does not deserve to die falling on an axe in front of his brother oh my yes. god yeah in front of his little brother who is literally too stunned to speak and like mm-hmm. never really i do wish we had like a little tack at the end of like and now he's he's doing okay but also that we when you were describing it earlier his death it's like philly at 10 11 holds a boy as he dies hmm. that's pretty rough yeah (laughs) to me yeah and it I think you being read it in music class is such a vivid image and I think like I have very fond memories of sitting on the floor like crisscross applesauce in Mr. Furry's music room I had to throw the name in because it's just it adds to the some funny memories of Mr. Furry but there was just like one very doomed fifth grade chorus concert where it was so hot outside and kids were fainting. And then at one point a bee comes up to Mr. Ferg at the piano and he's allergic. So he starts running around in circles around the piano. It's very <laughs> hilarious. Uh, that elementary school had some great chorus concerts. But I wanted to talk about God in this book. How did that how did that come across to you? How did it hit you as a younger person? You were very like enmeshed in, yeah. in the religion. I was really enmeshed. I think that's a really great word for it. It just it was it was my whole identity. And up until a certain amount of adulthood, um, yeah. until like the end of college, it remained um like one of my only personality traits and something that I was so devoted to. So like, I didn't even bat an eye at that. 
as a child, it was just like, yeah, of course they're like praying to God. And of course, when something good happens, it's like all glory to God. And when something, when something bad happens, um, or someone's afraid, they're going to pray that everything is okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, looking at it now with the amount of, um, deconstruction that I, uh, was in the midst of, and I'm still, I'm probably forever going to be in the midst of this deconstruction. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you're exactly right. I mean, these things are happening not because of God, but as a direct result of you worked really hard, you saved up $50, um, which in that time, I don't know, I don't know anything about inflation. Who knows how much that was? Yeah. And I mean, the this seems like just pre-depression or like leading mm. up to it or maybe even in the midst of it. <clears throat> the, the $50 is a a lot of dollars. Yes. Yeah. And the way they describe it is it's, it's nickels and dimes leading up to $50 and it takes him a very long time Two years. before, yeah, before yeah. he can give his grandpa the money and be able to, to send off for, for the dogs, which then the dogs arrive on a train in a box. Um, which Nailed I mean, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I, I guess that I, I don't know. I don't, I, I wasn't alive <laughs> back then, so I don't know how they were shipping dogs. Um, but yeah, it's, he, he saves up all this money. And then by the time he saves up the money, they're actually now only $20 a piece. So now he has 10 extra dollars. So in Tahlequah, he buys like hella fabric for his yes. mom to make dresses. He buys two pairs of overalls or I something so. yeah. for his dad um, because he leaves in the middle of the night. Yeah. <laughs> he literally packs up his little thing. He packs up some meat and some salt pork curing in the yeah. smokehouse. I don't know. And he packs up and he doesn't tell his family where he's going. And when he comes back, obviously his mom has been worried sick. I also like the characterization of the mom is like, goodness gracious, general, (laughs) generalized stereotypes of women much. But you know, like his, his mom's worried sick, but he goes and he does this thing and he, he, he goes up there all on his own. He takes a multi-day trip walking to Tahlequah. And once he's in town, he gets all this stuff in hopes that his family won't be mad at him. When he the calculation back. of like I'm gonna be in deep shit, <clears throat> and so how can I soften soften the blow of this? But yeah, I I think about I think about the little sisters all the time as a little sister yeah. myself, and like having that lived experience. I think about those little sisters, and they were so obsessed with little Anne, mm-hmm. um, and I just get so I just get so sad for them. And if I was them, I'd be like Billy you did this. Yeah. I just don't, I, I just don't see a world in which I wouldn't blame Billy for that no. for like the rest of my life. <laughs> you mentioned the mom there are, and it, it gets less and less as the book goes on, but there are a lot of moments of like, well, you know how women are. And that's just like punctuation almost. But I think in the, the, it like almost turns of like, well, little Anne's a woman and she's pretty cool in the end, which I, I'll take it, you know, <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have like, of course, the the so old Dan dies of his wounds that he received from the mountain lion. And then little Anne. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's a lot like, worse. Yeah, it's a lot worse. She like dies of a broken heart and the most heartbreaking. Like when I tell you, it has been, as I told you earlier, I just started this new job this semester. It's a great job, but it is kicking my tail. And so I've been losing a lot of sleep. And so the other night, a couple of weeks ago, I woke up in the middle of the night, couldn't go back to sleep because my brain was just going. My anxiety was just going. And I was like, you know what? Like, I'll just finish the rest of this book. And I'd previously stopped right at the beginning of the competition, of of the the hunting competition. So I hadn't yet gotten to the part where it's Billy's turn to hunt. And so, I mean, that's where I was in the book. So that night, in the middle of the night, at like four in the morning, I'm reading about the rest of the competition, the dogs basically being frozen solid in this blizzard, grandpa like twisting his ankle to shit. And then it just like, it happened all of a sudden. And like the, the mountain lion, like it was, they were, they were at such a high point and the Mm -hmm. mountain lion happens and mom is like tracing the entrails back and putting them back in. And I didn't know what entrails were when I was a kid. I was really alarmed. I I didn't remember that there were entrails. Entrails is the, we're okay. Intestines. Got we're it, going good. for it so mom is like rinsing them off and like putting them back inside of old dan and then he's still alive poor old dan <laughs> yeah but then like like little Anne is like moping around doesn't know where her brother is and they've been inseparable and i just am like 
yeah like in in the living room trying not to wake up my gal in the other room and I'm just like I don't remember this being so devastating or maybe it wasn't as devastating because I didn't understand the way that I understand now but of course I'm like projecting that onto like my own dogs of course you've had more years and more dogs and and more investment yeah totally we have three dogs and I think all the time about like what happened they'll be so sad it's like a whole thing my cat speak of the devil just woke up and is screaming for attention. <laughs> I love Classic. this cat, but he's a little brat and that's probably all my fault. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's just in their nature, just like old Dan and little Ann. It's just in their nature, buddy. <laughs> yeah, that was agonizing to me of like, is it God. just in their nature or did you put them in that place, papa? And also, <laughs> like, I do, I understand it, but I do feel a little betrayed of like, that was not your money, papa, to stow away. That yeah. was Billy's. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Listen, no no one's a hero. No one's a hero in this story. Know, all of Except villains. for old Dan and little Ann. Yes. <laughs> and Billy. I'll take Billy. Grandpa yeah, is Billy's evil. A hero. Um, personal vendetta against Grandpa. <laughs> but it's like, I think that was also the trope of like dying of a broken heart. That's also where I got introduced to that idea I'm dying of a broken heart. And then I heard somewhere also in my formative years, like I think like my teenage years that, and this might be bullshit. I can't even tell you like who told me this or what kind of scientific studies they had or had not read about, but that like, if there's like a couple, like an old couple, yes. like if in a heterosexual kind of way, if he dies first, she usually like continues living on. Yes. But if she dies first, he can't you know and so like that that thought of like like dying of a broken heart or dying of you know whatever that was never something that I'd really been introduced to but I just thought that was even as a child I thought that was so sad that she just like missed her little brother so much that she just couldn't go on and she just like crawled because she wouldn't eat and he was trying to feed her and she wouldn't eat (laughs) so anyway it's just that's just a mean thing for Wilson Ross to put in there um but I mean then of course you have this nice this nice kind of redemption in a way it's it's cold comfort but yeah. this this red fern growing out mm-hmm. from between the two mounds and the idea that this is it's this native trope that a, a red fern grows out of adversity and now there's always going to be this this reminder this red fern that you can look to and know that everything's fine and or whatever heard of that before you read this book about the red bird okay no no I would wager a guess that that might not be a thing but I don't know who knows I mean it's it's an iconic title and it's nice and there's a line that that there's like a rainbow stretching over it somehow Mm. and I was when I was doing research for this of course I looked at the wikipedia page and at the bottom it's like see also rainbow bridge and I was reading the last couple pages and I was like is that are we gonna are we going to get that? Is that going to appear for the first time? Not quite. Um, I didn't take sort of the the traditional notes I did, but I flagged pages of just like, this is big movie moment right here of, mm, of getting mm-hmm. the dogs, of the, you said how, how iconic the language is when he's chopping the tree down. You know, I've only ever read this once. And there's the line of um his blisters exploding. <clears throat> yeah. Which that that really got me. Um yeah. just And I remember I it's it's a I'm now realizing that it's like a memory that I had and and because I remember my music teacher, Mrs. Gould, saying that Oh, and then what he was chopping the tree down with was like a hatchet. It wasn't like an axe. It was like a hatchet. And she's like, that's a lot smaller than an axe. And so like that was really, really hard for him to do. That's why it took so long. And when I was reading this again, I was like, oh, man, I'm like so ready for him to talk about how he had a hatchet and not an axe. But then I'm reading it and I'm like, no, it doesn't ever say he has a hatchet. That must have just been. But that's like embedded yeah. in like in in a wrinkle in in my brain that it has always been there. I didn't know a child could do that. Hatchet or axe. I didn't think I didn't think that could happen. I mean, like a big sycamore tree. The, is that a God moment? Does he does he pray to God that I can chop down this tree? Probably. Like, he was always praying to God. It's not a thing I, you know, really take too much issue with because I think it feels authentic. 
Oh, yeah. When old Dan dies, Papa goes, Billy, I wouldn't think too much about this if I were you. It's not good to hurt like that. I believe I'd just try to forget it. Besides, you still have little Anne. Something in this podcast that I always notice is how children are working to manage their parents' feelings and expectations, mm-hmm. like when mm-hmm. he buys the extra stuff and just really bad therapy advice. Like in the <laughs> in the end of Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, they all go to the professor and he's like, yeah, I really did think that, ha- I think that happened to you and I think it'll happen again and don't ever talk about it with each other. Um, (laughs) and not only like did you guys all just have a big adventure you guys all had 15 years of a big adventure and now you're (laughs) 10 again where that red fern grew did you ever watch the movie no and i my copy says for the millions who love the incredible journey which is i've seen that movie i don't know if i've ever seen it all of it or just pieces certainly never in one sitting it was just always on disney channel and old yeller which I kind of thought was this book, to be frank, which I've never read either. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know where, like, get on, get was from. It's uh-huh. not this one. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, this one is like the memories that I have from Mrs. Gould reading it were her talking about the hatchet. And then she would do like the whooping to the dogs. <sighs> yeah. And I hear, I can hear her voice in my head going, woo-wee, get him, Dan, get him. And I hear it and I heard it while I was like reading the book. Mm -hmm. And there's so much of my childhood I don't remember. I think it's just like repression and just, you know, general child stuff. But I think a lot of it is just like repression. Um, But uh, those two things are so vivid um, in in my brain. And when I think of my childhood, I, I, I know that I read a lot of books. Like I was a big, big reader. And... But there, if you like named some books off, I would go, oh, yeah, I probably read that. Oh, yeah, I probably read that. But this is the one that like you asked me mm-hmm. and I said, boom, it's yeah. it's it's right there. Um, And I think it was so formative for me in so many ways. Um, And I, I wonder if I just like gravitated toward the 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 sadness, the melancholy, the feeling big feelings, because mm-hmm. I've always I, yeah. I was. I've always been a highly emotional and highly sensitive person. Um, And I've been the butt of a lot of jokes, even from the time that I was a child. Um, Like the slightest thing would just like, and I think it's because I had a lot of fear. And I think like growing up in the church, it was like all guilt, fear, and shame. Yes. So at like the first hint of something that's going to make me feel guilt, fear, and shame, I'm like immediately in that kind of state. And I still am like highly emotional, highly sensitive, but back then especially, and I didn't know how to manage those emotions. Mm -hmm. So it's like this book kind of gave me a place to like to funnel all those emotions. Like I think that I read, and this is like maybe really morbid now that I'm thinking about it, but I think that I read the pages about the mountain lion attack, like the details about that. I think I read those pages over and over and over. I can't tell you why, you know, but there was just- at least that you know, this is putting my own head in it, but like mm. of trying to find the moment where things could have gone different or trying to find the the elements of like, how how could I have prevented this? Who knows why I was drawn to that, but really was something that that I was drawn to. But um, but I do remember crying and crying and crying over this mm. book. I mean, I also like the first time. So I saw The Lion King whenever it was out in theaters because mm. um, that's how old I am. And I remember my grandmother took me, my dad's mom. And we left at the end. And I started crying with Mufasa in the clouds. And I did not stop crying for the yeah. rest of the time, including like we left the theater. We were, I remember this so vividly. We were walking out to the car and I was still crying. And my grandma Norma was like, you need to stop crying. You're fine. You are fine. You need to stop crying. Um, so I think I just like latched on to any of these it, it's like permission. It's exactly. all the all the other times that I was like showing any kind of emotion were like, hey, you need to like put, get that under control. Like it, Billy's dad tells yeah. Billy is like, hey, like your dog just died. But like, hey, like stop crying. Like Come you on. don't need to. Yeah. Like get it together. And so I think that like these opportunities that that gave me that permission to like have a catharsis of some sort. I, I think that those are really important. There was also a, ch- a book as a child that I read called Mick Hart Was Here. M-I-C-K-H-A-R-T-E, I think. And it was about like this girl whose brother was like riding his bike and it hit a pebble on the ground and he went into the street and died. Oh no. 
<laughs> and that's another one that I remember. And I just remember being devastated. But I think that like as a child, especially being around a lot of grownups who were like, hey, you need to hold that together. Yeah. I think it was things like this that that I gravitated towards. And I think looking back at it, I think it's because like I had that permission to just like let it all out and like feel those feelings in a really, in a really big way. Yeah. Uh, I think that, I think that reading this again really healed a part of me that I didn't know needed healing, which is kind of a recurring theme in like the last like five or so years. Yeah. I'm just like the, in the most unexpected places, I'm like finding these parts of like little me and saying, Hey, it was okay that you were crying all the time. Like yeah. it's okay. Like you don't have to sit in it maybe. Um, but like, you don't have to ask permission to, to feel these things and to let yourself get engrossed into this story because the fact that I feel emotional about it is because I let myself get deeply yeah. into, into the story. Um, and as someone who works in an art form, that's all about, you know, really getting deep into those stories and and letting myself go into them and hoping that my audience does that too. Um, yeah, it was just kind of a nice little full circle moment, I think. Yeah. And like you said, catharsis, like it's, it's the oldest storytelling. And, and it, like you said, it gives you permission and for kids, a, a way to process it and a way to understand it. And, and the, even like, if I think it's so hard to communicate as a little as a child to communicate the scope of your feelings to an mm. adult to even like get the help you need that yeah. I think to an extent it really is to be like I feel like Billy right now like I feel like I just lost old Dan like I think that is that's must be really really helpful and I think with this podcast it really is about just just saying it's okay like it's mm. okay then it's okay now it's okay to have been that person to be this one that you guys can still coexist together and that like everyone was right in a way like the the feelings like exactly like you said like that happened then were right and okay and fine and those vestiges or the exact same I'm it is such an emotional an emotional ringer in a book about things that are are very coded as masculine and I think mm -hmm. like and and I don't know how often that you in children's literature especially in 20th century that you get really huge demonstrations of emotions especially from boys mm -hmm. I think that's really powerful and important and impactful yeah I think so too but it it says on the back it says very touching the New York Times book review but it also says a must read for kids nine through 14 in parentheses NPR. So at one point NPR said it was a must read for kids nine through 14, which means that NPR was complicit in kids being absolutely fucking traumatized. Yep. Yep. <laughs> kids so aged nine through 14. Yeah. I mean, cause I think that you're right. What you said earlier is like, as soon as, you know, people hear that you're reading where the red fern grows, they're like, Oh, whoa. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Woof, pun absolutely intended. Exactly. But uh, but yeah, woof. It does have that reputation for sure. But it is more than that. It 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 is it is much more than that. Um, the love and the loyalty of a dog um is really, really special. And yeah. and and old Billy got to let that dog that he found in the street, grown-up Billy, he just like let it go. <laughs> Yeah. Which is a little bit of a mystery. Yeah. I was I was really hoping for like and then <clears throat> I got home and it was there and it was gonna be my friend. I was really yeah, waiting he, for it. He was really projecting a lot of expectations onto that dog. He's yeah. like, I'll bet this dog has walked this way and that. I'll bet he's walked fifty miles. I'll bet he has a family who's missing him in the country and now he's in the city and he'll probably find his way back. Billy, that he'll was be you. Fine. You did that, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> Glad, glad it's fiction. Yeah, the apple skin feet. I was like, that. That's yes, up to Kentucky. We've seen that. Um, yeah, <laughs> the apple skin feet. Oh, but it's it, true. Like, really does have an amazing depth of language, and I think, like you said, it it is more than that. But I think more than the the traumatic end. But I think it is also such a testament to to the writing and to the skill and the power that everyone two, three, four, five, six, seven decades, that's more decades than it's been published, but have, are, still have that gut visceral knee-jerk mm -hmm. reaction to it is, yeah. um, it's not for nothing, you know? Yeah, there's definitely a, a relationship to 
the yeah. story um like intergenerationally etc exactly. yeah. man now i need to try to watch the movie but i don't think i could handle the movie but dave matthews is in it and i'm such oh. a dave matthews van girly <laughs> i never saw it i just saw that he was in it it was in the same year that he was also maybe not the same year but the same time that he was also in because of when dixie and if I'm absolutely incorrect that he was in Where the Red Fern Grows, the film adaptation, then you can, I don't know, just know that I was wrong. Um, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it's Dave Matthews. But uh, my mom, who knew that I loved Dave Matthews Band, mm -hmm. like I've seen Dave Matthews Band like a dozen times. I'm like that girl. And I was that girl like in college. She was like, you need to see that. And I remember being like, hey, mom, I can't. No. I don't want to watch. It was like bad enough to read it when I was a kid. Yeah. I was sad enough to read it. Like I, I'm picturing it in my mind and I don't want to like see a dog. No, no. <laughs> Every time I was reading it, it just reminded me of the website doesthedogdie.com. They're out there doing the Lord's work. Really, truly. I respect how detailed it gets. I think at one point in my life, I thought it was silly. I no longer think that. I think good resource, good tool. Especially, like, I, I think people have a tendency to be like, oh, it's just an animal. It's like, yeah, those are the things that we care about the most. Those yeah. are the, you know, animals teach us about our own humanity and how to be kind. Yeah, and, and yeah, and love <laughs> unconditionally. And, I mean, animals, dog, they're just, like, better than people. Like, the yeah. worst dog I've ever and, met is still better than the, I don't know, best person I've ever met. Like you said, that unconditional love, I do think, helps you learn how to accept that love. That has to be a skill sometimes when you have only seen love as transactional or, or mostly mm. as transactional. No. Yeah. no. Would you consider it required reading? I think, yeah. Mm. I think everyone should should face that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think that everyone should. I don't know. There's part of me that's like, if I had to go through reading it, you had to go through yeah. reading it. But, um, but I do think that that there are things to learn. I think mm -hmm. that um, for anyone who's ever felt underestimated, yeah. um, you have that with Billy, you have that with the dogs. Um, and I think that that there are still things to learn, even if it's semi-traumatic to, mm -hmm. to read them. Just remember that it's fiction. It's not real. Yes. And I think may maybe like, Tell the kids going in, this has a really sad ending and, it's mm -hmm. gonna, and we're going to be okay. Just as a heads up, there are going to be entrails. Yeah, it really made me feel like there are, and this is like tangentially touching on hot button topics of, of, of book banning and things like that, but there are, there were things in, in my high school and middle school and elementary school, it was mostly like sex ed, I think, where you had to like get a parent's permission slip to be like, it's okay to talk about this in front of me. Mm, and I mm -hmm. do feel like books with entrails, at least in elementary school, those kind of weren't at least permission slips of like I understand my child's gonna come home with questions about this in a couple of days yeah like what are you supposed to do when your kid says mommy what are entrails well intestine uh forcing your kids like, to grow up real fast you said nine to 14 I think I was nine in fifth grade and I'm thinking about other fifth grade books I know I read I don't think read badge of courage but I read a civil war mm. book which has got to mm -hmm. be brutal I know I read Johnny Tremaine which I it's a revolutionary war book. When I was looking at a PDF of this, it had it had like a list of other related titles and that was in there. That kid it works at a blacksmith and loses the hand. Um, <laughs> exactly. So like, I was reading that. Um, so that was fine. Um, Johnny Tremaine was part of why I wanted to start this podcast and, and we haven't covered it. No one's mentioned it. We might never do it, but I loathed that book and I mm. remember the loathing. I don't really remember anything else about the book. I, so. I remember loathing the red badge of courage, but I could not tell you why. I think maybe I just thought it was boring. I, I usually thought that most like worry stuff yeah. was a little boring, mm -hmm. but do you have anything you want to plug anywhere you want to be found? I'm on twitter at um i think i might have changed it to carly o'brien or it might still be carly conklin i don't remember i'm bad at this um i'm on instagram as prof carly o'brien b-r-i-e-n like conan o'brien there are people who are like o'brien and i'm like literally have you ever seen and heard the name o'brien ever since i changed my name after i got married it's been very very confusing but it's b-r-i-e-n 
So Prof Carly O'Brien on Instagram. I post a lot of dog stuff. So if you want to see how cute um, and goofy my dogs are. You have great dogs. You have a dog with a permanent cowlick. It's really- I do. I do. She's got a tuft. She's so good. She's the smartest dog I know. She's very little, Anne. And I respect her brains, you know, <laughs> like she's, she's, she's a good dog, but I really respect how smart she is. Um, and then the other two are, they're just cute little babies they're just all really cute yeah that's where you can find me so find me there amazing thank you so much thank you i appreciate you i'm glad i I got to see you again me too (laughs) what a wonderful person what a wonderful conversation what a wonderful way to start the new year what are your new year's resolutions mine are oh gosh they're right here i should look at them What should we talk about while I'm I'm flipping through my notebook? SAG nominations? I know, some are some are kind of disappointing, but you know, um also pretty standard, you know? I'm almost there. I'm okay, here we are. Write another comedy pilot. Maintain my incredible sense of style. Uh, that'll be pretty easy. More face-to-face times with friends. Be less sleepy. And stop asking for permission. So without your permission, next week will be the Boxcar Children with dear friend Madeline Douglas. You can find me everywhere at Aaron R. Bowles. R stands for the Rat Pack. I don't know if I like them, but uh, that's what it stands for today. I'll see you later.